Welcome to the Pubs Podcast. Pubs Podcast is brought to you by the Penn Undergraduate Biotech Society, founded at the University of Pennsylvania. Our student-run podcast is dedicated to the leading biotech developments, bringing insight into biological breakthroughs, surrounding finance landscapes, and corporate developments across the sector. With each episode, we'll delve deep into the biotech industry and bring our own scientific and corporate insights into the, into the discussion. My name is Advait Taplu, and I'll be hosting alongside my colleague, Roshan Pillai. Thank you, Advait. Today's discussion centers around cell therapy, such as liquid tumor, CAR-T immunotherapy, and the role in cancer therapeutics, such as lymphoma. Our special guest today is Dr. Ruella, Principal Investigator at the University of Pennsylvania, Perelman School of Medicine. Dr. Ruella, so glad to have you on our podcast today. How are you doing? Very good, and thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So starting with some background, we know biotech is quite a niche field with a high barrier to entry. What motivated you personally to research into cancer therapeutics and work with patients? Yeah, no, I uh, I mean, studied many years ago, right? When I decided to 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 get into medical school, of course, I wasn't sure at the beginning uh, exactly what I would have been doing. But the, the idea to 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 have a profession where you can do science, but you actually can also help patients, seems to be very attractive to me. So that's basically what brought me to to start medical school. And then step by step, I got fascinated with research. Already during medical school, uh, working with a, a professor in, in Italy where I did my medical training. And then later on joining the University of Pennsylvania as a postdoc to, to study new immunotherapy for cancers. And so uh, my interest as a physician is for sure to study the basic and sort of translational aspects of immunotherapy, but a big goal is to translate them into the clinic. So that's always the goal that we have in uh, when we do our research. Thank you. Yeah, that's insightful uh, background. So you were talking specifically about translating uh, your research into the market. And of course, the goal is to take the lab work and kind of transfer it to patients. So can you maybe expand a little bit on that and kind of what your goals are and what you hope to do in that in that sort of area, yeah. Again, as mentioned, uh, you know, we 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 try to to start from new ideas or new findings that come to the from the lab, or they also might come from uh, our experience with current therapies with patients, and then try to develop better product, better approaches. And of course, you can do that a lot in the lab. You can use patient samples. You can use animal models. Like we use a lot of mutant models, but when you have enough evidence that you think your what you have a new therapy, let's say a new CAR T cell therapy, a new immunotherapy, a new small molecule, when you have enough evidence that that's, that product can actually be effective in patients, well then in, is when really you start thinking how I'm going to be able to translate this into 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 patients, and that gets tricky because um, it's um, it's a pretty complicated process that requires expertise, know-how, but also a, um, uh, an amount of funding that allows you to, to get into humans and run clinical trials. And the good thing about working at the University of Pennsylvania is that actually there is an, a, an infrastructure that helps you through this process. And so the, sometimes, you know, one way could be by you can partner with, uh, the, with the industry, with some pharmaceutical company and and develop the product with them. 
Another potential option is to do it as a purely academic effort. And so in that case, you need to have a lot of funding from the government, from foundation and so on. What we recently decided to do is actually to start a biotech company called Victoria Biotherapeutics. And, and then we were able to raise capital funding to support the development of, of this product. And so that's another so probably faster way to, to proceed, to, to bring a concept to, to the clinic. That's amazing, yeah. So as you just recently mentioned, you started a biotech company, Victoria Therapeutics. Do you wanna expand on that? Like what do you, what do you guys hope to do? What are you targeting? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so the um, so the, the idea to start Victoria came from the from 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 the fact that we had a we developed a platform um, to target uh, a specific subset of cancer called T cell lymphoma. So, T cell lymphomas are very aggressive lymphomas that unfortunately um, don't have very effective treatment. Uh, treatments. Just to give an example, in the last 10 years, there were only a couple of products that were approved for clinical use. So the prognosis is very poor. And so we thought, well, we really need to develop an immunotherapy for these patients. And so we developed a new concept to develop CAR T-cell for T-cell lymphoma. We, we develop a product that is based on engineering the uh, T-cell, the healthy T-cell taken from a patient engineering them using, for example, lentiviral vector and expressing a, a protein called CAR, chimeric antigen receptor, that makes these T cells able to recognize the uh, tumor cells. But we also discovered that if we use CRISPR-Cas9 to knock out uh, a specific gene in this T cell called CD5, we can actually enhance the anti-tumor effect of this CAR T cell. And so we demonstrate that in a, one product for, for T-cell lymphoma, but we also show that this genetic engineering with CRISPR-Cas9 can, can be applied to other cancers. For example, B-cell lymphomas, we show that in pancreatic cancer and so on. And so we, we decided, well, I, I think we have enough preclinical evidence to support the translation of this approach into, into patients. And so that's when uh, I decided to fund Victoria Victoria Biotherapeutics, and again, Victoria means victory, and also Victoria was one of the Roman goddess of, of, of victory. And so we thought that that was a nice concept because it would sort of represent our effort to, to fight this type of cancers and, and reach victory, reach Victoria. Um, and so we, I was lucky enough to, you know, to work with uh, Penn and with the Penn Center for Innovation and the Center for Cellular Immunotherapies directed by Carl June here at Penn. And, and, and thanks to them and thanks to business partners. So we have, I have two uh, scientific co-founders that are Bruce Peacock and Nicolas Siciliano who are, uh, do have experience in science, but also in business and starting companies. We were able to, to put together a pretty strong syndicate of, of investors and, and raise a good amount of capital for, for, the, for the seed funding that will allow us basically to get to the IND application, investigation on new drug application, and then the clinical trial. Uh, that sounds amazing. Um, I think it's very interesting how you're able to take 
academic discoveries and then transition into uh, you know acquiring capital and moving along that structure um i think we're interested on what sort of challenges did you find uh transitioning from you know the preclinical side to to getting funding and then starting clinical trials and where are you along on that process and how 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 do you see the future uh, going as far as timeline or like next steps uh getting your getting your product along the pipeline yeah no that that's a very important question actually there are a lot of challenges um throughout the way because um what what you basically what you have to do is to to try to to move sort of from a research grade type of 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 data to a clinical grade and the requirements are way more strict for the clinical grade as compared to research so basically you need to repeat many of your experiments with um with uh, you know tracking every reagent that you do every lot that you use and and, and make sure that you can write detailed reports on what you've done and it and fundamentally you you need to then take these preclinical data and work to try to adapt them to clinical use this means that the for example the production of your tisa that you do in the lab of course is not you cannot inject those cells in, into humans you need to translate that into a, a gmp good manufacturing practice manufacturing for example and so that requires um beside capital it requires also expertise so we are heavily relying on on our expertise but also the expertise of the center for cellular immunotherapies that again as i mentioned is directed by Karjuna, as has already translated a lot of products into the clinic so i think the most important thing when when you think about translating something that you have in the lab to the clinic is to work with people that have already done it and that have the experience to tell you this is exactly what you have to do um, there are requirements by the fda that and guidelines that can be found online that are very good but in order to sort of get it right you need to work with people that have already worked at, at the translation and then there are challenges on many aspects for example when you work as a purely academic person um you know the intellectual property and um and, and all of that and license etc are easier but when because you work for pen and so there is no third party when you start a biotech obviously now there is a third party and the biotech will have to find an agreement to license the ip to license the know-how from pen and while pen is pretty used to do that it's still very challenging because it requires several months of negotiation to get the agreement right and so for us that and for us and for any anyone starting a company at pen has been also uh, you know uh, taking quite a bit of effort but um we are sort of getting to the point that we are finalizing the license and and the agreement and then third is the formation of the company right and also in that case working with the pen center for innovation for the license for sure but also with uh, company personnel and in this case as i mentioned uh, the current CEO Nicola Siciliano and one of and, and the director um, uh, Bruce Peacock were really essential to to basically say this is what I, that this is what we need to put together a company this is 
these are good people to talk to for investment and 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 really they really drive they really drove the the process of starting the company but obviously it took you know a few months to to put everything together and right now we're still you know working at the logo working at the website certainly for someone working like me in academia it's extremely interesting to learn all this process you know talking to investor you know showing your data and thinking about the website hiring personnel we got some space at the uh, CIC center in uh, Market Street, 3675 Market Street, that is basically an incubator for, for biotech and it's just an amazing place. So we rented some place there. We will have a lab very soon. Anyway, so, so you know, multiple facets of the, of the process have multiple challenges. And my advice overall if, is, to, is to work with people that have done it in the past. Yeah, that's a very great advice. It uh, looks like your role uh, as a scientist is sort of shifting. You're taking on more responsibilities uh, on the corporate side. How do you feel like that has changed uh, your day-to-day lifestyle? And uh, how do you see your, your career going forward, moving with uh, biotech? Uh, are you going to focus more on the academic side or maybe transition to something in between? Yeah, that's that's a very good point, you know, and and certainly something that is evolving over time. And just to tell you, when I moved to the U.S. now ten years ago, I was only doing research, so I was in the lab. I was a postdoc and an instructor, and so on. Then I started to see patients, so I went through all the process of getting the license, etc. So that added an, an additional le- layer of responsibility, big layer of responsibility. And then I started to have my lab, uh, you know, managing. Uh, I have now about 15 people in my laboratory. And, and obviously, that's another layer of, of being busy, of being responsible for, for other people. And on top of that now, there are the activities of the company. So it, it's been sort of layering up. And, uh, and it's been very interesting, very sort of dynamic and um, stimulating for sure. Um, I don't think at this stage I, I see myself leaving my lab and you know focusing only on biotech because I love the freedom to pursue what I care about. And you really can do that mostly in academia because then, of course, if you have your biotech, you have goals, you have what you promise to investors and you need to be very focused. In academia, instead, you have a little bit more freedom to explore. And so I actually will let try to find a good balance between all these activities and i hope that step by step victoria will be more sort of self-sustaining i i still want to i'm i'm very involved and i want to continue to be very involved but i'm sure that by the time we get a cso a cmo and so on they will be able to uh, to run their day-to-day activities without my the need to sort of to consult with me every time Um, but yeah, so so for now, I think I will continue to see in academia, but spinning off companies if needed, working with companies as needed, um, and try really to to basically basically get you know the the new ideas and new findings from the lab getting to patients, and and that that's my goal. Like as as many projects I can bring to patients and potentially cure some of them, that would be really my my ideal goal for for my work life. 
Yeah, I actually found that idea really fascinating when you were talking about managing scientists. And I was just curious, how does managing scientists in sort of acad in an academic or academia space differ from maybe that business aspect, the business management side? And how do you balance being able to do both the acad academic focus, but also trying to work on maybe getting FDA approval and other sort of business aspects of biotech? Yeah, I mean, keep in mind our our activities with the biotech is still early. Like we're we're building now the team. We have a CEO, um, we have a, a bunch of directors. With a we have a we have a scientific advisory board, but we still are hiring the team for of people who are actually working. So, um, you know, I've been working a lot with the company, but not in in the management of of scientists in the company yet. Um, but for sure the uh, you know, in general, when when you have your own group, managing people is one of the biggest challenges because at least in medicine you don't get trained for that, and everyone is different, and and it's 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 tough. And so I've learned the you know the hard way to uh, to manage people. I think in academia as compared to biotech it's is very different because in academia there is a lot of a lot of students like you guys that come to my lab I have three undergrads for example and and they stay a few years and they go they have certain goals and there are phd that they have other goals postdoc other goals it, it's just a a very dynamic and teaching and student based type of environment while in in biotech um Usually, it's more on you know scientists are hired and then they have specific goals and they are not undergoing any training. So potentially, they can stay a long term with you. There is a little bit less turnover, um, and also it, it's when you're mentoring a student is different than when you're hiring a scientist, right? It, it, just as an example, if the student is not performing well, of course you mentor him to try to help. In in, in biotech, if someone is not performing well, you can you know find another person and so it's a very different uh, dynamic and i hope that you know i sort of can merge a little bit the two of them in other words if i have postdocs that are about to finish in my lab and they are interested in going to biotech i i'm very happy to help them and maybe they can work with victoria or one of the other biotechs around around the area for example but it's very different it's a very different environment interesting so uh, it sounds like the dynamic between having an academic institution and biotech is more like the biotech is more already established and already has some background to it. Um, when transitioning to Victoria from Penn, did you feel like there was any red tape uh, finding stakeholders with, um, you know, switching from the academic side to spinning off? Uh, what are the challenges associated with that sort of aspect of, uh, of, of switching off from the academic side? Well, are you uh, explain me exactly what you mean? Are, are you referring to to hiring personnel or what? What do you exactly mean? So, uh, like for example, um, like sources of funding. Perhaps Penn was a stakeholder of your research while you were uh, working uh, in the academic institution, and then maybe taking those discoveries made in the lab, and then uh, you know giving them commercial applications. Was it, were there any challenges uh, as far as like bureaucratically trying to separate from Penn and form a and form a corporation? Yeah, no, no. That's I mentioned some of these earlier, right? So the 
the challenge is that when you when you have a third party, right? When you form a company, well, then now it's not you, Marco Ruella, uh, professor at Penn. It's Marco Ruella, professor at Penn, but also scientific founder of a company. And so now Penn look at you as a third party. And obviously, it's not automatic that everything is shared, everything is, you know, understood. And so it requires a lot of work to find agreements where all parties would benefit. And so from one side, working on the license agreement on the intellectual property that the company is getting. Second, looking at the uh, know-how that you have and you want to transfer to the company, how is that working? You need to find a way. And then the third is the, the work that you want to do at Penn for the company. And of course, that requires budgets, approval, and, and so on. And so all those things seems, seem easy to sort of to list, but they are quite complicated. Um, because Penn has expectations, the company has expectations, and so on. And so as a PI, you find yourself sort of in, in between, right? And so you try to, to make things working, but it's, it's a difficult role. And another difficult role is the conflict of interest, because now, uh, and there is a whole process that I, I've been doing with, with Penn to say, look, I have this spin-off company, but uh, I will uh, separate that from my academic activities and that there should be a clear plan to manage a potential conflict of interest so as you may imagine there are several layers of uh, you know complicated negotiation that needs to occur um, between Penn and the company and between uh, the two of them and and, and the pi uh, that usually take a few months and uh, and again you know relying on expertise is always the best way to go Fascinating. Yeah, that, that definitely is some great advice. And I think that really speaks to a lot about how you can really spin out from an institution. And, you know, shifting back to your own research, your lab focuses on improving current CAR-T therapies, uh, such as preventing relapse and improving resistance. And so why did you choose to study that? And I guess maybe would you like to talk a little bit more about your work in that space? Yeah, sure. Thank you. The, 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 um... I, I like the choice, as I mentioned, probably happened when I uh, when I finished my clinical fellowship. So I was attending physician. I was still in Europe. This was like 2012. And I liked research in the lab, uh, but I wanted to sort of go and, and proceed to the next step. So to to have an experience that really would make me able to, to do translational research at high levels. And so with my mentor, when we were back in Europe, we were looking for potential mentors in the US to, you know, to do a postdoc. And um, I happened to be in New York for a conference and I heard about this cell concept. This was probably yeah, to the end of 2011, maybe early 2012. And I heard about this concept of Cartesa, someone was presenting and I thought, well, that's really interesting. I think that's gonna be something cool. And so we tried to uh, connect with uh, Professor Karjun for many uh, months and it was just very hard to you know, get a hold of him. And so it's good Italians, we say, well, let's, let's use a strategy. And so what we did, we invited him to a conference in Sicily, in a beautiful place in Sicily. 
And of course, he right away replied to, to our email. And so once uh, we, we got him there, I mean, the conference was real. It was not just a trap. But when, when we got him there, we were able to, you know, to talk to him. And, and we say, you know, do you have a spot in your group? We would really like to, I would really like to join. And this was like in May 2012, and he told me, yes, you can come in December. And so I started my postdoc at Penn in, in December 2012. And, you know, I have to say I was lucky because, first of all, I chose to, to come to Penn and to pursue a topic that then turns out to be very successful, right? It took a few years, but then it became successful. I was lucky to join the group that basically developed the first car diesel product approved in 2017. And so it was very easy at that point because I was working hard. I had a fantastic environment around me. I just decided, well, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to do translational research. I want to you know, use cutting edge technologies. And I found great mentors. I was working with Dr. Karjun, Michael Telos, and Dr. Sardil at Penn and so on. And so it was sort of natural for me deciding not to spend only two or three years in the U.S. and then going back, but to to stay, to stay at least in the long run. And so I, you know, I just proceeded in my career and published papers and uh, published patents and and getting funding. And, and step by step, I, I started my own group. And so in 2018, I started my my lab and uh, the lab has been doing fine and growing and i also started to see patients and so on so it's been not something that they planned right sometimes when i talk to you guys i talk to the undergrads here at Penn, i have the feeling that you guys are maybe i don't know 19 or 20 and you guys already know everything in your life you know that you're gonna do the undergrad and then you're gonna do that and by age 30 you're gonna be a cso of that company. which you know probably could be that but things really change over time and you might be pushing one direction. So it's always good to be open-minded to potential big changes because I, for me, I would have never thought to end up being, you know, living in Philadelphia and, and be a professor here. That was not really my plan. Uh, but I'm very happy with that, right? So, so yeah, I would I would keep a very open mind to say yes, that might be a career, but I should be open to something else. Yeah, I think the timing of your story is so interesting that in 2012 you joined the group that eventually released Camera. Um, what do you yeah. think about the What do you think about the timing uh, of the CAR T space right now? Uh, do you think uh, is it saturated? Is there a lot of room for discovery, or where do you see us going in the future from here? <laughs> It's crazy. It's a crazy field, the, the Cartesian, because I, you know, when we were studying Cartesian a few years ago, we were the only one, right? Right. But these days, like every day, there are ten papers out on, on Cartesian, so the competition is crazy. Uh, but but the, the reason why is because it's working, right? So it's it's a good thing that a lot of groups are working on that. Uh, unfortunately, as always, there are a lot of you know. Uh, a lot of like studies and, and research that's not very strong is more just to uh, to ride the wave of, of Cartesa. So it, it's, it's getting more complicated to identify what is actually um, going to be successful or what actually is solid versus what is just the, the next thing and that they try to, to present as successful. So 
um, crazy amount of research in academia, a, a crazy amount of companies that are popping up to do their CAR T cells, a lot of investments and a lot of interest for sure. It's possible that that is going to end at some point, um, but it's going to be very selective. You know, the, the, it's going to be a very selective process where only really the company that companies that have solid products would make it. It's I, I have the feeling that it's easier to raise funding these days than actually get something to work. So it's easy, like when they say, "Oh, we raise this and this number of millions." This, I mean, that sounds impressive but it's easier than actually get a strong product that is going to get results into patients. So I always try to sort of invest and, and focus. And when I say invest, I mean mostly from the scientific point of view of investing um, on stuff that I think are solid and have a chance to, to make it. Um, but I see a lot of, a lot of, you know, groups and companies that are pursuing path that I, I think is going to be very hard to to make successful. But still, they you know they find a way to support their their research. So it's, 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 there is a lot of excitement, uh, and it, it always happens when there is a lot of excitement. Um, the sort of the focus and the goal sometimes is lost. Yeah. So sounds like there's a lot of competition within CAR T. But what do you think about competitors to CAR T? What are some of the, the the cutting edge treatments that maybe are just coming out that you that you could see uh, as being promising areas for research in the future? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't necessarily agree with the term competitors, right? Because competitors mean one win and the other lose loses. In this case, actually, if if, if I if, if there is a competitor, it's actually something good because it means that our patient have a have a effective treatment. So, I I would say that other approaches that <clears throat> are interesting are for sure the, the 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 whole world of bispecific antibodies, right? They we can call them scientific competitors of 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 Cartesa because they basically rely on a similar concept, the one of getting T cells close to tumor cells. Um, uh, some of them are leading to nice results in the clinic. And so I think that they will be used. Um, we have, for example, known, uh, you know, with, with the lymphoma program, which I, uh, I'm, the, the, I'm the scientific director for, I, we work, we're working with Dr. Steve Schuster, who is the director of the lymphoma program, on a trial, for example, combining CAR T cell and by specific antibodies. So trying to, instead of using them as either or, say, well, what about if you use both of them together in order to get the most out of them? But by, as I mentioned, by specific antibodies are certainly interesting in the setting of hematological malignancies. I think we're getting more and more into smart, small molecule that target um, specific mutations. And so I, I would think that those small molecule would be fantastic partners for combination with uh, our immunotherapies. But looking sort of forward a few years, I think we, we will need to do a better job on being able, rather than just targeting a specific antigen in tumor cells, we need to be better on uh, reactivating the immune system against the tumor, not only through a specific antigen, but through uh, the um, 
the immunity that we have in our body, other T cells, and so on. In that regard, you know, uh, checkpoint inhibitors, vaccines, and, and all those approaches are certainly interesting, but they clearly demonstrated that they are not enough uh, by themselves. And so, again, it, it's obvious, but I do think that the rational design of combination is what we will need. Um, and the good thing is that we have a lot of tools now is, you know, we have such a plethora of small molecules, immunotherapy approaches, and uh, we just need to do a good job in the lab to try to identify how to combine them to get the best effect. Yeah, that's incredibly intriguing. I, I, I think the future of biotech is really bright. And like you said, the toolbox is there and it's just up to, you know, the future biotech scientists to try and take the tools, master them and develop uh, you know, future therapeutics. And so just to close out, um, I guess a kind of a more deeper question, it's what advice would you have for aspiring biotechnology students or scientists and, you know, just any closing thoughts and any advice that you have? Yeah, first of all, it's, it's probably one of the best jobs ever because uh, it, it allows you to, to do science with uh, a meaning, right? So you, when you do a new experiment, when you develop a new product you know that potentially that product can be a life changer for a patient and so it gives you a lot of purpose on what you do but not only that it's also a, a very scientifically interesting topic because um, you get to to study science you also get to do something with your hands experiments and and, and um, uh, analysis and so on the advice i would i would like to give is it's mostly, as I mentioned before, try to keep sort of your mind open. That is, like, don't think, don't, not necessarily, like, you don't necessarily need to have uh, everything planned until you are 40, right? So you can, you can just sniff around. If that was my example. You know, if I wanted to go to medical school, I wasn't sure about going to the U.S. I didn't know what to go to in the U.S. And, and, and then, you know, step by step, I found my path and I'm very happy. If, maybe if I had a, preconceived concept about my career development, I would have said no to that, no to that, because I have this thing in mind. Uh, again, it, it's kind of obvious, but you want to wake up every morning excited. And, uh, and so sometimes you might say no to a job that makes, would make you make a lot of money and say, you know what, I actually don't care too much about that. I would just want to be happy with what I'm doing. Uh, so that, keep that in mind sometimes you know money is too much of a driver of of of, of us and and um, I, I found that actually uh, the results of an experiment at least in my case much more satisfactory than you know a bunch of uh, dollars so that's what I I would say and 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 and, and the last one is create a network of people that are supporting your career mentors and friends that are good there are a lot of bad people around a lot of people that are not the ones that you want to be close to you so you want to focus on the good friends on on the one that you can call when you are in trouble and you know they're going to help you that is i think probably the most important piece of advice because when you're going to be in trouble and you will be in trouble at some point you you want to have that supportive network to help you Thank you so much, Dr. Rella, for coming on today. You were incredibly insightful and inspirational. And hopefully one day we can work with you again in the future. Thank you. Of course. Well, thank you again for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Very interesting questions. And you guys are doing a very important job. 
Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you.